You're listening to Campus Review Radio. This is Carl Treacher, and I'm joined by Martin Betts. We're the founders of HEDEX, and our podcast explores the changing landscape of the higher education sector in association with Campus Review. Welcome to the Higher Education Experience. Welcome, everybody, to the first podcast in the series of HEDEX Higher Education Experience podcast for 2021. It's delightful to be back after a, a break over the summer. Um, I hope everyone in the higher education sector has had a good, refreshing um, chance to, to regenerate, to replenish, and to get ready for a big year. Carl, how's your break been, and what have your reflections been? It's been a break that I think we all really needed. Uh, I certainly saw a lot of fatigue uh, from our teams and other teams uh, we've been working with, so uh, we all got to put put the tools down and have a couple of breaths and reflect on the year and get ready for what's going to be an incredibly interesting year um, for everyone, be it you know, whatever comes, be that um, opportunity or challenges. I think people are sort of moving into it now with a renewed sense of energy. So are you a, a New Year's resolutions man or uh, is this a time when you commit to doing different things for the year ahead and change some patterns from how you ended last year with or, or do you not buy into that sort of way of thinking? Oh, look, typically I don't. Typically I don't love the Valentine's Day or New Year's resolution type of uh, existence. But uh, I never, I always, despite my reluctance, I always find myself having a reflection and setting some goals for for the year or just at least deciding to do something different. Um, and it's not, it doesn't come out of the blue. It usually comes out of a theme or something that we've experienced in the, the prior year. And that this was no different. In fact, it was very pronounced that last year was the year of authenticity. We saw um, people having an opportunity to completely sort of rest down to their genuine self and operate from that position, you know, often at home with the family around and still getting your job done. So look, my, res- my New Year's resolutions are just a continuation of that, is to do the things that matter most, um, stay away from the things that don't really matter or that I don't think that uh, serve me or there's other options in terms of um, meeting those goals. So I'm looking forward to doing things that I really uh, am interested in and helping and working with people that I really enjoy working with. They sound like um, very sensible goals in a time of clarity, perhaps, but uh, a, ch- a challenge in seeking in gaining certainty right now. I know a lot of people set New Year's resolutions and as early as this, the third week of January, then some, sometimes fall in a hole when they can't keep them. And um, you said out of the blue there, I, I, one phenomenon that I'm conscious of is that the term Blue Monday is often used to refer to the the third Monday in January, when I think maybe this is more a northern hemisphere than a southern hemisphere phenomena. The days are, the days are short. the 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 air is cold. the The world can seem a bleak place sometimes, and it probably is seeming a bleak place to lots of people. It's difficult to reconcile that sometimes with the summer season and the coming coming back from beach holidays in Australia. But um, are you feeling that Blue Monday is something that's resonating with you at the moment, or are you feeling optimistic about the year ahead? Well, I will come back to that. But of course, I'm going to ask you the question about your news resolutions and what you reflected on. So please share. Yeah, well, I, I, I think um, it's been such a, a massive year, hasn't it? I, I can remember a year ago thinking, knowing, by, knowing then that I was coming to the end of a long period of time being an executive in the sector, I was, I was feeling really positive about leaving an executive position well and looking ahead to what we were going to be able to do 
in this thought leadership and, and, and advisory services work of headaches. And who'd have known that would have got a stimulus to that in the form of a pandemic that would have created so much uncertainty. But as I said in, in those comments earlier about your own position, I think last year was a time of g gaining such great clarity and recognizing that certainty was perhaps a, a forlorn hope for, for many. And I, I, I have so much more clarity on the opportunity for change in the higher education sector right now than I think I've ever seen before. And I see, I, I, I'm, I'm really optimistic. Blue Monday is certainly not something that I'm feeling um, at the start of the third week of January. Indeed, I, I look out and see blue skies and lots of opportunities for our universities to change, as we've said, for good in the, in the years ahead. Oh, good. Yeah, it'd be interesting certainly to watch. And I know we, we're being pretty active ourselves in helping some universities at the moment. So looking at that, uh, the desire and the, the real passion around making those changes, um, it's, well, from my experience anyway, it's, it's really encouraging and something I haven't experienced um, to this extent in the sector. I think one thing that many people do at this time of year is, is sort of take a bit of a, a health check of themselves, don't they? They sort of um, look out, they've come through a holiday period and what shape they're in for the year ahead and, and then set themselves on resolutions or, or paths to try and, um, you know, just get themselves into even better shape for the year ahead. And I, th I think that's a metaphor of personal journeys that must be really, really um, important for our universities at the moment. L last year was such a challenging year, but this is a different year. It's a new slate. It's in many, t in many ways a, a time for great opportunity in each of our universities. And if they can assess how they're positioned and move forwards to improve that position in a purposeful way with optimism, I think there's a lot of hope. I do, and that gets back to your, your earlier question about Blue Monday, and that's not something that in Australia we generally talk about. And my view on Blue Monday is that it, we're the polar opposite. Uh, you know, we are, we've got long days. We've got warm days. People are coming back from, in Australia particularly, very long breaks where they have a chance to really get that psychological recovery. So I think it's entirely opposite. You know, I think from what I've seen and, and some of the work that we're doing at the moment, strategies on the table. There's CEOs all over the place and leaders working out what they want to do for the year. And so this is it. This is a time to get really clear before you get stuck in the operational sort of machine and, and sort of distracted and involved in, you know, shareholders and whatever else it might be. It Now's the time to say, what is the difference we need to make? How are we going to do it? And then put the strategy together. Um, I, I do uh, take a particular interest in this time of the year because I love to get to a level of detail with strategy instead of just saying we have a plan. Um, I really think that a lot of organisations have plans and not necessarily their levers in place to execute those effectively. They sort of put the put the pen down and go, great, I've got a plan. Well, you've got done half the job. So let's see what um, what you've actually got planned for each quarter and how you're going to measure that. And is that actually going to, is that actually going to make a difference? Uh, so I think with that in mind, it, it leads us to our, our health check, you know, the HeadX health check that we've put up on our site that um, has been downloaded by a hell of a lot of people. But I thought for those that haven't experienced it or haven't had a good look at it, we could wander through that and just ask a couple of questions so that anyone listening to this podcast today can reflect on it. They want more information, sure, download it, but also maybe just take the questions into their executive team or into their decision-making framework and consider it. Well, the very um, interesting comments because our guest this week is John Germoff, the acting vice chancellor of Charles Sturt University. And um, as you described, it's the time for strategy. He, he describes in our interview this week how 
the 10-year plan that he's putting in place with the executive team at Charles Sturt and the three-year rolling plans that are going with that is something that they're putting the final touches to right now. And they've actually used our health check in asking themselves the questions of how they should sharpen up and, and finalise that strategy. Maybe we should have a listen to what John had to say. I'm joined today on the Higher Education Experience by Professor John Germoff. John's been Acting Vice-Chancellor at Charles Sturt University since June of 2020, following nearly two years as Provost and DVCA. And that comes after 25 years at the University of Newcastle. John, welcome to HeadX. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Happy to be here. And uh, great to talk to you um, and to reflect upon your journey um, at recent times in Charles Sturt. You, you stepped up into the acting vice chancellor role in the middle of a lockdown at a challenging time for Charles Sturt University. Where is the university now up to, would you say? And um, what are the plans that you've got in place as an institution for 2021? Well, as you can imagine, you know, coming off uh, the drought, the bushfires and then the pandemic, uh, like all universities, we've been grappling with uh, that trifecta, and uh, you know, our focus has been obviously on on budget remediation, as as just everyone in the sector is doing at the moment. But we've also been looking to the future, and you know, we're on track as an institution to get back to uh, a balanced budget by the end of 2021. Uh, so we we believe we have our uh, our expenditure and our revenue forecasts in 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 check, and things are progressing really well. Um, and so we're now starting to come out at the end of 2020, looking to, into 2021 and planning about what the future will hold. And we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And we're certainly looking at a range of um, opportunities to really bed down the sustainability of the university for the medium to long term. That's been our plan all along. It's not been about um, slash and burn. It's really about uh, resetting the fundamentals of the university so that we can be sustainable uh, into the future. And, and where do you think um, Charles Sturt stands in, in comparison to some of the other 38 universities in, in Australia in the sector in terms of that trifecta, as you described it, how, the impacts that they had on you compared with others? Are they, are they similar? Similar, but also different in the sense that we were less exposed to um, the international market in terms of a, a bottom line. It definitely was a material impact. Um, and then the move to remote working um, was, I think, done uh, and handled much more effectively at our institution than perhaps some others because we've been in the uh, online game for quite some time. And so uh, we went, we, you know, one of the leading institutions in terms of online provision. We have 58% of our, our student enrolments are online. So I believe we do it well. And we were able to manage the transition of our remaining courses uh, to online um, that were traditionally face-to-face -face, uh, in a really efficient, agile way and to maintain the quality of delivery. So rather than remote learning, it was online learning. It was interactive. And in fact, our student retention improved this year compared to last. And that's got to say something, that we're doing something right in that regard. That, that sounds like a very encouraging set of um, indicators and outcomes from a, a, a troubling time. And you said in your comments a to, to an earlier question there that beyond the sort of trimming of, of costs and programs and, and reducing areas of research, that there's been some widespread speculation that that there's actually been a, a burning platform here for disruption and transformation and that it might lead to new business models and, and differentiation in our sector. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about how you're seeing this as a time of opportunity for Charles Sturt University coming out of the events of 2020 and into 2021? I think you're right. I think it is it is a burning platform and it's it's requiring universities across the sector to really rethink their operating model and to focus on, as you say, differentiation, what makes them distinctive and what, what is the value add in terms of the student experience. Um, and, uh, you know, basically it's shown that we need to become less reliant on our international uh, revenue, our international students for, to bolster our sustainability. We need to diversify uh, our student markets from where we draw our students from, both face-to-face and international and online. Uh, so I think you'll see more competition in that that regard. I think the the fact that the pandemic forced a number of institutions to move online when they may have been only uh, dabbling in it uh, will, over time, create extra competition. So it will mean that for on-time delivery, there really will need to be a focus on quality, on student retention, on flexibility in terms of the the, the study. Uh, options that are offered to students so that not only is it just about uh, catering to uh, and providing a quality online experience, but it's also about uh, blended delivery. And I think you'll see that expand more than it has to date. So students might be on campus and take some online options, but you might find that online students also might avail themselves of on-campus options where that's available. So things like block mode delivery or uh, intensive residentials, I think will become part of the diversity of offer that you'll see uh, in the future. That's like it's a really point of a really important point of inflection and change. And one thing that we've recently done is as HEDEX has been working on um, a, a strategic health check for the sector to help institutions like yours potentially be less reliant on historical measures out of rankings or recent financial performance, but to self-assess their readiness, the readiness of their current strategy or their culture for making progress for the current situation. Have you had a chance to have a look at that and, and see how you feel Charles Sturt University is placed with regard to preparedness for the future? Yeah, I have. And I think I think it's a useful tool because it, it what university executives need is a is a structure in terms of uh, providing some guidance to the way they uh, think through the issues that they're dealing with and identify their strategic direction and uh, what they want to be known for and where they want to be in terms of the institution and what it's achieving in both research in teaching in terms of its graduate outcomes and also its enga- wider engagement. For an institution like Charles Sturt, we are an anchor institution in the regions in which we're located. Um, we provide significant input and influence in the social and economic transformation of the regions. But being a university of the regions doesn't lessen our potential global impact. So we want to provide world-class education and research experiences in the regions, but applicable to the world. And, you know, I often say Oxford and Cambridge are are regional universities and uh, you can service the needs of your region while still being uh, contributing to um, solving global wicked problems. Um, And so I see that one of the strengths of Charles Sturt is its focus on applied research, knowledge transfer and innovation. And the future for us is 
in working collaboratively with government not-for-profits and uh, the private sector in both research and also in uh, delivery of our programs. We're, we're finding that um, there's definitely interest in our sort of micro-credentials, in tailored B2B delivery, um, and that's something that we will be focusing on in the future. So that, that sounds really heartening to, to hear you outline, Charles Sturt, having such a focus on its, its own purpose and mission and where it will focus in its, its efforts of research and providing courses and engaging with communities. I'd just like to take you back to that use of that HEDEX tool to assess your own preparedness from a strategy and culture point of view. Were there pointers there of where you were able to take confidence of how well positioned you are and other areas where you felt you needed to focus your efforts on strategy development at the moment that you can share with us? Look, there were. I think it's it's important to point out that uh, as we're speaking, we're in the midst of doing our strategy refresh. So our existing strategy comes to an end in 2022. And so we're spending the first part of 2021 engaging with our, with our university community and our external stakeholders to redesign our, our strategy. We're setting a 10-year vision and then rolling three-year plans and really... Uh, it is a good way to structure your thinking. And the thing, one of the things that come out, comes out from the tool for me is a focus on uh, workforce planning, the professional development and building up and keeping current the capabilities of our staff, both our professional staff and our academic staff. And I don't think universities do this particularly well. Um, I think there is, uh, this is where I think we have got something to learn from the private sector. Um, but it is something that I've always had a passion for. Uh, and it's something that I, I really want to see um, develop at Charles Sturt. We, we're just in the process of refreshing our Indigenous uh, engagement strategy, including our Indigenous employment strategy, uh, because we, we obviously have, a you know, we're one of the largest, if not the largest uh, university with uh, Indigenous students in, enrolled and graduating. But we also, we're also keen to see uh, our Indigenous staff profile improve. But it's the investment in that, that workforce planning, succession planning, identifying where your strengths are in the future, where you will need to recruit uh, both to grow, but also to uh, sustain the performance of your key, your key discipline areas is crucial, whilst also ensuring that you're maintaining a staff profile that's invested in, that, that can maintain its scholarship and its currency in terms of both educational delivery and research. What I think I'm hearing you say there, John, is that you, you as a leader of um, a leading Australian university at this point in time are seeing the culture of the university as really critical, the culture of the staff and its, and its student and its external partners and communities as crucial to the success for the future and are prepared to prioritise that and invest in that moving forward. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's the old saying culture eats structure for breakfast. And um, in many ways, I think that is that that is true. But, you know, culture doesn't change on a dime. It, it is something that takes time and it, it takes the, you know, that's only the change occurs through the practice of what you're willing to what you're aiming to achieve, what your values are. And so you have to be true to your, your, your mission and your vision and your values and, uh, and make sure that that is cascaded throughout the institution um, so that it's meaningful and that uh, positive behaviour is rewarded 
and uh, you create culturally safe environments for both your students and your staff, but also that there's a genuine commitment to the recognition of staff performance, but also the investment in staff development. I've, I've seen some commentary, not, not, not in any way related to Charles Sturt as a particular university, but the, that some universities in, in our sector at the moment might have cultures that could be under threat by some of the rapidity of, of change and the, and the way in which change has been undertaken. I mean, do you, do you have a sense that that is a danger for the sector more generally? And do you feel that the culture of Charles Sturt University has been in any way threatened by the trifecta of 2020? Or do you feel that it's actually built more broad-based resilience and determination amongst the group of staff? Look, I, I've been extremely impressed at how the staff of Charles Sturt have managed through um, this crisis. Uh, it's been uh, one of the, you know, uh, heartening experiences of my professional career to see people uh, band together to support each other through this, but also to ultimately support uh, the delivery of our courses to our students and to maintain our HDR uh, students and, and, and their research. Um, it, it really has been, uh, you know, one of one of the very few blessings uh, through this this awful experience that we've all had to had to endure. Um, and I think that does stem back to something at the heart of Charles Sturt that I've noticed since I've been here, which is a, a real palpable sense among the staff of the transformative impact that their work has particularly on, on students and the regions in which they live, because we can see the difference. People can see the impact the university has as an anchor institution, and they can see the graduates that they produce getting jobs for the most part in the regions in which they've studied. So there's, it's no fluke that, you know, for the fifth year in a row, uh, Charles Sturt has come out number one in the nation for a graduate employability, uh, you know, four months out um, of graduation for undergraduate students. And that's because we are specifically attuned to offering degrees that meet national priorities, degrees that are aligned with professional qualifications and ensuring that students gain not only a significant work experience during their degrees, but that in the formation and the renewal of those degrees, that we co-create those degrees with the professional and industry bodies that we're aiming uh, graduates to work in. And I think that's been a culture that's long established at the institution and something which other institutions could probably learn something from. So you're painting a really um, interesting picture here of a university that perhaps has got some of some of the less conventional indicators of of uh, community relevance and uh, and the resilience of its staff and the uh, and the health of the, the the setup of the university to embrace the future. They're, they're really contrasting, aren't they? With you know the Australian ranking of world universities and uh, annual reports of financial performance mm. of of how well set and and you know what what the position of a current university might be. Would others that are commenting on or making judgment of a university's position and performance, would that be well advised, I think, to have a broader sense of how well a university is traveling? And how do we get those messages out to those that judge how well a university is placed beyond the easy to measure and easy to read data on rankings and, and financial health? Well, that, I think that is the question, given the the challenging situation that universities find themselves in this country in terms of public perceptions, in terms of relationship with the government of the day. 
I think there, there some serious consideration needs to be given to how we demonstrate our public impact and the, the public good that um, our institutions actually perform. And I think we haven't been as successful as we could have been in that regard. But I should stress, don't get me wrong, this has been a very stressful year for the sector. We've seen significant job losses. Universities have had to initiate forms of budget remediation that uh, you know, have been challenging for staff and staff morale, you know, surprise, not surprisingly, has been affected and lowered and, and, it's, and it's a challenge to do this. And some universities manage through that change better than others by being more engaged and, and uh, creating a dialogue with their staff and sharing as much information as they possibly can behind the evidence for the decisions that are being made, but it doesn't make those decisions any, any easier when you're in a, a period of contraction. And with the new jobs ready graduate uh, reforms being implemented, it's effectively being introduced a 6% efficiency dividend into the sector at the macro level. And some institutions are more uh, adversely affected depending on their discipline mix. So the focus then initially has to be on your operating margins and ensuring that you're de delivering your core um, uh, teaching in as efficient and effective a way as possible. And once you have that under control, you can then focus on generating modest surpluses to invest in not just infrastructure, but in your staff, in their development, in uh, your research and so forth. So it's been a really challenging year, um, but we'll, we're starting a new year now with um, a, a, a fresh page, as it were, and, and all of that experience. I mean, maybe in closing, some messages to, to the staff and students of Charles Sturt University and maybe the wider community that it serves. How confident are you, as, as the leader of Charles Sturt, in the future health and direction that the university is taking? And what would your message, be, message of hope be to your staff and your students and the wider community as we start 2021? I would say that despite the, the, the year that we've come out of, um, there is light at the end of the tunnel, that in fact, the foundations of the university are strong, that uh, we are providing a quality student experience and that is not gonna change, but that we can't stand still, that we, can, we need to continue to innovate. We need to continue to scan the sector and look at what's happening both across the nation and abroad in terms of uh, looking at innovative ways to ensure that we're meeting both the needs of our future students, but also the workforce needs of, of the nation. And that's something that I think um, Charles Sturt can be uh, very proud of, uh, having a long history of doing just that. What I like, would like to see is us uh, improve in our scale and impact of our research. Uh, it's fair to say we're being, whilst we have various areas of strength, there is room for growth. And I'm looking forward to leading the university to achieve even greater things that it has in, in both its research, but also in terms of its, the application of its research findings for the communities that it serves and to continue to produce highly employable graduates that have an excellent student experience. You're looking forward to coming top in the country next year as well, eh? <laughs> of course. You can never never rest in your laurels. And that, and I guess that's the uh, underlying message that, um, you know, ch change is going to be with the sector from now on. 
and it's how well that change is managed and how well it's aligned with a longer term strategy that will prove the difference between how well institutions fare and how well uh, they look after their staff, but also how students experience studying with them. Well, look, thanks very much for joining us on HeadX today, John, and we wish you well with your new 10-year vision and three-year rolling um, strategic plans for the institution, and we wish everyone in Charles Sturt University a a great new year and, and the successful outcomes in 2021. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. So, Martin, great interview. How did you find that? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed talking to John. Actually, Carl, I thought um, I thought coming into the start of twenty twenty one, there's um, a bit of what we were saying before the interview. There, a, a leader of a university really coming to terms with the fact that in amongst all of the managing crisis, we also need to think ahead. We also need to think strategically. And I thought there were some good signs there of someone actually looking at uh, the horizon in the midst of some pretty challenging terrain that they're they're passing through. So um, I think there were some interesting views about what the strategic challenges are. I think it's good that, that John and his executive group colleagues at Charles Sturt are setting a, a path for the long-term 10-year horizon with some intermediate three-year and shorter-term points within it. Um, there's a lot of comment in there and from a lot of universities about new business models and differentiating. And I think we'll, we'll really be wanting to get under the hood of that in the the coming weeks on HeadX about what real differentiation and disruption means in our sector at this point in time. But um, the fact that people are, are seeing that there's a need for that and there's a need for a culture that's consistent for that, I thought there was lots of good signs in there. And I'm really pleased that, that, that John and Charles that were prepared to use our health check in their strategic deliberations. Yeah, I like that as well. You know, I, I thought the same thing. My, my first impressions with uh, John were really positive. I think if when I look across different sectors, it's there's a time now uh, for a changing of the guard in terms of style of leaders and style of a CEO or vice chancellors in this instance. Um, so what I mean by that is the the uh, the the old professional uh, governance compliance focused leader um, are going to be seen as less relevant as we move forward. We, we need people in leadership roles that are people of the people, so pragmatic down-to-earth, in touch with what's going on across different demographics and psychographics. Um, Having the statesman-like leader is really not the answer post-COVID. It's it's simply not the answer. So any organisation that uh, is appointing new leaders or there's new leaders that are emerging and they have a a success profile that's all around um, uh, gravitas and and having an executive presence of an ambassador – um, you're making a massive mistake. So I really liked the fact that John spoke in very casual terms, in very um, likable terms, clearly across what he needs to do. I like the idea of the strategy. It's, just, it's very typical in terms of a, a 10-year strategy and then three three horizons. But um, I think that actually works, particularly if he's got his finger on the pulse with what, what they need to do. Yeah, well, I think that's um, fair observations. And um, it's, it's interesting, the issues you raise about where our leaders that are fit for the future are going to be coming from in these challenging times. I, I think we'll return to that subject in, in future weeks too. But there is these are big institutions with a lot of compliance and a lot of relationships to deal with. So that tradition of looking for ambassadorial type leaders has always been key. But if we're right in speculating that this is the time of disruption and differentiation, I can't help thinking that 
we really are looking for an awful lot in our leaders if we're going to have them be both those ambassadors, but also the leaders of great innovation and change and different ways of thinking, because it's very rare that someone will have the skills that embrace all of those different things. Who'd be a vice chancellor right now, eh? Mate, well, the thing is, who needs? You don't need to be an ambassador. Look at all the tech companies. Look at the world's most highest performing organisations. None of them have a stuffy, old, brown cardigan-wearing leader. They have innovators. They've got people that are dynamic. They've got younger types that are prepared to get roll up their sleeves and become part of the change. The idea of sitting on the on the throne in the corner office, um, barking orders, it, it's completely irrelevant and so we only need to look over the fence at what actually works across highly innovative organizations particularly tech companies to see what's required i've seen the same thing in banking and insurance recently around succession and um, implementation of particular leaders it it's got that's because of a shareholder requirement shareholders have demanded this sense of oh there's an authoritarian in charge that's not what's required here in a high, highly innovative environment. We're wanting people that can actually relate to a variety of audiences, still lead, still make decisions, have great contemplative sense, but be able to be involved in significant shift and transformation. Well, I don't know if brown cardigans will work in the Northern Hemisphere at this time of year, but they're certainly not working in the bit of Queensland that I'm sitting in, so um, couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. Look, with that in mind, why don't we look at the health check itself? So those that haven't downloaded, I'm not going to spend a hell of a lot of time here, but just is there's five particular sections that we investigate to see how culturally and, and um, strategically ready organisations, higher education organisations are for the future. And the first one is around the future state reputation. So what's the reputation of, of the university? Now, reputation has two components to it, two clear components. One is a governance, governance and operation component so how well is it run um, is it financially secure uh, how well does it communicate um, does it have you know um, social responsibility in check and so there's a almost a health component is it healthy does it have a healthy reputation that's the first section the second part of reputation is reputation distinction what are you known for what do you have a reputation for now both those areas for successful organizations have to be uh, managed particularly well and from my experience they're not um, the first section is usually delegated to um, corporate affairs or someone in communications because they believe reputation and brand go hand in hand which they really don't so the ownership of reputation is a VC responsibility or a board responsibility always. Now, the second part that I mentioned in terms of reputation distinction and what do you have a reputation for, that is a vacant vessel. Right now, that is where organizations really struggle. What do we have reputation distinction for? And it does have a direct relationship to our differentiation, but what are we known for in a trusted way? is the question here. What are you known for that people can trust, that they want to talk about? That is your reputation distinction. So there's an enormous piece of work to be done to get that right, and I rarely find organizations that have that uh, in check. So our health check talks about a self-scoring or self-assessment, one through five, anything from we've got no systematic data on reputation against our competitors, all the way through to we're fully aware of changes in reputation in the market, um, we're repositioning significantly against current and future um, competitors based on on full digital maturity. Somewhere in the middle is where we're probably going to find most higher education organizations. But in this, this is an opportunity with a health check to identify what they're currently doing and also where they need help. 
So I think they're great questions, Carl, and it's uh, it's been exciting for me to be having us working together and you being able to draw those principles out of what's been so successful in other sectors and for us to work out how they then apply now to universities in the higher education sector. And those combinations of um, self-awareness of one's reputation and how it might have changed in the in, in the episodes and the and the... Um, things that have happened in 2020 is important and that alignment with the change requirements for for a digital strategy and and being in a differentiated position I think are absolutely key I'm really pleased that people are starting to measure themselves in those regards and I think that's that's the first platform and the first base camp if you like of being well prepared and healthy for the future and it's a, it's the one thing that all boards are asking so any you know we do, do a lot of work with the ARCD Australian Institute of Company Directors and so that prepares board members to effectively govern organizations the two top questions that they have on their list are what is the reputation risk do we have reputation risk anywhere? What's our reputation strategy? And the second part is culture. Do we have any culture risk? And what's our, our cultural um, health strategy? And what I've noticed is that boards uh, seem somewhat happy with what an executive may tell them, but then we go back to BAU, business as usual, and the organization just runs runs along. And they, they deal with those two questions when it's board day instead of dealing with them day in, day out. So the second part of the health check, and I won't spend too much time on that, is staff engagement. So how well are staff engaged? This is a big question right now. I think all organisations have to have their finger well and truly on the pulse of how my people feeling. Are they optimistic beyond a typical engagement study, but how are they dealing with the shifting sands and the shifting tides that have come with, with COVID? Um, I'll rip through into student sentiment. Again, you know, we've had a student on HeadX. We'll have other students this year appearing on the podcast talking about their student experience. A lot of those are first years, which have had no real benchmark or no real um, uh, contrasting element or area of data, I should say, that they can compare what first and second year um, looked like for them. But that's obviously incredibly important with social media and social transmission as it is in branded communication. If students aren't having a great experience, they're going to share it and that is going to hurt you. Partner engagement is the next one. Now, this is an area where you spend you spend a lot of your career and your expertise around uh, how well the organization is engaging with partners. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, partner engagement, I think, is absolutely crucial to the, the way ahead. I think, that the, as our health check suggests, the bottom end of that scale is where you've actually lost touch with your partners in the, in the episodes of 2020, whereas I think those that are really going to thrive in the year ahead are, are going to be at the top end of that um, HeadX health check scale of having a new diversified university strategy that actually has optimising partner engagement as something that's central to it. And that there'll be new capacity, new initiatives, new governance arrangements that um, allow digital disruptive innovation practices that are part of new business models and make that partnership with with external organisations central to the strategic future goals of the organisation. That that's I think the optimum situation for universities to be in. I guess most um, most of them will be still in the in the process of re-establishing some of their former relationships and trying to get some new understanding of their needs and, and beginning a process of, of rebuilding relationship capacity for that. And the last section in the HeadX self-assessment is culture, collaboration and communication. Three really big areas, as, as we all know. Anything from universities that suspect that staff, students and partners and other stakeholders lack commitment and engagement 
um, all the way through to performing really well and celebrating you know new levels of truth, transparency, um, authentic direction, um, engaging leadership and trust. So look, that's the five the five areas, and and as an aggregate, they give organisations a really clear understanding of where their key challenges are, where they're doing well, where they need to appoint resources. So I really do encourage anyone that is interested in assessing the health of their their organisation to at least reflect on the self assessment, if not go through it in detail. And look, I think the other thing is that we should probably say is you know we're always open to help. So it's not, you're not on your own with this. If you do have questions about the self-assessment, you wanted any help or you wanted us to help administer that, that's certainly what, what we do and we'd be really happy to help in that uh, that regard. Yeah, I mean, we found it very um, interesting to help the, the different vice chancellors that are currently engaging with us, didn't we? And to have John talk about that in the interview of how it guided some of their strategic refresh in Charles Sturt was, was very encouraging. And Look, we, we've written that health check really with vice chancellors themselves in mind as the principal users, but I think there are a number of different people working in universities who have the ear of, of, of the vice chancellor in their institution or a part of teams. We just encourage everybody really in leadership positions to be challenged to have some new thinking and some new optimistic strategic um, view about the future of their institution at this point in time. That can come from anywhere in the organisation, but ultimately it needs to be led from the top. The other big thing that's going to happen this year is I fully believe there's going to be an enormous play from out of out of sector or out of category. And there's going to be a couple of new challenges that are um, coming out of left field. Now, the, the important thing there is to be ready for that, to know how to prepare for it and combat that. I think when we get to a, a position of a strategy planning or strategic planning for this year, that has to be a key area of consideration rather than just going through a typical process of What's our value proposition? How do we then bring that to life? How do we communicate that effectively? What's our point of distinction and the, cat, the culture that drives that and the experiences that um, go hand in hand with it? That's essentially hygiene now, and that's still not being done very well, to be honest. It's not being done well in any category. So that's why you know, consultancies have a lot of work and leaders have a lot of work in front of them to make sure that they're getting the, um, the, the ticket to play right. However, coming out of um, the ether will be a new challenge this year from uh, whether it's one of the big tech companies that uh, wants to live in that space. And we're certainly seeing moves in that direction already with a, a variety of you know, micro-credentials and other bodies that are starting to live in the education space. And I think the, the longer that the traditional players take to to perform better, the more opportunity that the new players have. I think you're really on the money there, Carl. I, 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 we, we very much are in the business of trying to help higher education make the changes that are necessary to be well positioned for the future out of this time of disruption and change. And there are two, there are at least two different primary places where that can come from. That can be the current players, the current universities making that transition, or it can be, as you say, completely new entrants into this market who will see opportunity at this time of disruption and change. And um, I think everyone that's working in the sector or everyone that's looking towards the sector might see significant opportunities there from those two different places. And that's all we have time for today on HeadX. It's terrific to be back on the air. Until next week, thanks, Martin. Thanks, Carl. Looking forward to it.